Hey everyone, it's Michelle. And Brayden. And this is Spooky Shit. This week we're going to be sharing some creepy pastas. Woo woo. Woo woo. We're just going <laughs> to be switching back and forth. Yeah, per usual. But Brayden will be starting. I say for him. I left you a couple opportunities there and you didn't take oh, it. So, I, hey. I suck at that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I leave it for you to say, I'll be going first. And what do I get instead? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. It's because I'm so excited about going first, yeah, you know? Exactly. <laughs> Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. All right, but before we start, how you doing? It's been two weeks. Anything exciting? Yesterday was my anniversary, so that was fun. <gasps> oh, yeah. Four years, right? Yeah, four years. Four and years we've... married or four years together? Four years married. Together, it's... Holy shit. Six. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, I... four plus two. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I read he posted like on Instagram and uh, part of the caption I thought was really funny because it was like, whenever I mentioned my wife to people, they're like, wait, you're married? How old are you? Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> no, I literally get that like so much, which is that's like, so funny. it's funny. They're, they're always like, oh, wait, you're married? And I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, wait, how old are you? <laughs> and so it's literally just like second question. You're like, yes, I got married young. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm young. <laughs> Damn, married four years? How's it feel? It's nice. Good. You're, yeah. I'm, well, it would suck if you were like, it's shitty. We're going to get divorced. <laughs> She's <laughs> horrible. The end. She's no. horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. Like, We were actually talking about it yesterday on the drive home because uh, we ended up going out to the Broken Yolk. For, oh, cool. Like a brunch. And then after that, we went to the zoo. Hell yeah, the zoo's lit. Yeah. And yeah, we were like taking some selfies in front of the big ass like lion statue. And oh, yeah, there's a huge lion statue outside of the zoo. Like huge. <laughs> Massive. Um, and then we were talking about like where to go to get tickets. And then some guy approached us and he was like, hey, you guys need tickets? And we were like, what? What? And did we you were buy like, from a scalper outside of the zoo? We did. <gasps> and it worked? It worked. Well, because, I mean, we didn't find out until after he let us in. But he, like, basically told us that he was expecting two friends, but they canceled on him. Something about COVID. And we were oh. like, okay. And he was like, well, I still have the two tickets if you guys want to, like, come in with me. And then you guys could, like, pay me whatever you want. And we were like, oh. That's dope. And yeah, we basically paid for just one ticket. Oh, how cool. And cool. How lucky in. is that that he chose you guys? Right? I think because <laughs> we were right there and he overheard us like talking about like where to go buy tickets. Yeah. That's we were like, dope. oh, is it over here or over there? And then I was like, I think it's <laughs> over here. And he's like, no, it's over here. And then he approached us and we were like, and then, yeah, we took some money out of the ATM, and Alaris is like, make sure he takes us in first, then pay him. Yes. <laughs> She's like, I'm sketched out. I don't trust anybody. I was like, okay. I wouldn't either. That's why I was saying, wait, you bought tickets from a scalper or something? Yeah, but we 
saw that after he took us in, like he has like a pass or something. Oh, okay, nice. So he could probably take people in for free or something. Sex so he for just his friends. <laughs> yeah, so he just made money off of us, but I was like, still, we still saved, so it's not like a big deal. Yeah, no, that's sick. But yeah. Hell yeah, saving money on the anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because we did spend a lot of money. We didn't spend much money inside the zoo, just like bought a water. <laughs> I think that's literally all we bought. And then after the zoo, we went to go eat at this Italian restaurant. Shout out oh, to cool. Leon Jesus for recommending it. Uh, it was really good. I think What's it's it called, called Bencado. Okay, I've not heard it's of it. In I don't little, know why I asked. <laughs> it's in Little Italy. Oh, dang. But it was really good. Definitely on the pricier side, but it was it was really good. It was a special occasion. Um, also, our, our waiter kept misgendering me. He kept saying... Oh. He kept saying ladies. I was uh. like... Ah, ah, no. Like literally the whole night. And I was like, can you not? You didn't say anything, I'm guessing? No. Yeah. (laughs) Just every time he walks up, just cringe. (laughs) Yeah. I had my hat on. It was like a dad hat. So I would just look down and I just didn't want to look at him. Please, God, don't look at me anymore. Just, Just stop. Should have pulled out that deep singing voice. Like, <laughs> no. if I was a lady, would I sing like this? Your voice is cracking <laughs> along. <laughs> no, it's like hella cracking right now. It's actually funny. <laughs> like, with a bunch of stuff I say, it's like cracking. It sounds deeper since the last two weeks. Well, I say that every fucking week, don't I? Yeah, you do. <laughs> every week. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, it's deeper. Whenever you started talking about the waiter, I really thought you were gonna say something nice, and I was playing, being like, "Oh, shout out the waiter!" And I'm like, "Ooh, bad shout out the waiter!" Just, ah, yeah, ah, ah. Um, but anyways, what I had, I had started, and then I did totally got sidetracked. Is yeah. on our on our way home. Um, oh yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Forgot that's well, where we came from. Yeah. You just took you on a whole ass fucking road coaster. Well, I felt like I was there. <laughs> I was in the moment. Um, yeah, but we were talking about just how, like, time kind of flies, but at the same time, it doesn't. Like, how early on in our relationship, when we would go on dates and stuff, because it was, like, 6 p.m., and we were already, like, coming home. Mm-hmm. And we were, like, you know, we are basically done for the day, even though we kind of yeah. left late. Like, we left the house, I think, at, like, 11.30. I mean, you're an old married couple. I expect nothing and else. Basically. Um... <laughs> But it was just funny because we were talking about like when we our first like when we first started going out, we literally would spend the whole day out and like get home really late. Oh my god! And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then like we were talking about how we're going home so early, and I was like, well, I feel like we would do that well first because it was like new, and also because like I had to actually like take you home. We didn't live together. <laughs> yeah, I think that that makes a big difference. <laughs> And she was like, that's true. And she's like, we're just, she was just saying how, like, before she would, like, just time would fly just because, like, you know, you would want to spend every minute together. Mm-hmm. And she would, like, get, like, not anxious, but, like, kind of sad every time. And, like, we're at that point in our relationship where she's just, like, content and, like, she knows we have, like, the rest of our lives together. Oh, so good. she's she's not like stressing over having to spend like 
so much time with me type of thing. I feel like moving in with each other makes such a fucking huge difference. Oh, yeah. That's how we used to be, too. Like, we did just hang out in a McDonald's parking lot till, like, 2 a.m. And now I'm like, wow, aren't you going to just hang out on a couch? <laughs> <laughs> or we could just be at our separate computers, but we're still kind of hanging out. You know, we're in the same room. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Because, <laughs> like, when we first started dating, yeah, we would hang out in the parking lot by her house. Like, If until, you were in a like, parking lot when you first started dating, <laughs> what were you doing? <laughs> That was just the hangout spot, though. You have nothing else to do. Go hang out in a parking lot. Yeah, you can't. You, it's not <laughs> like we could go to each other's houses or anything. And the best part is I wasn't even a teenager. He could have come over. He did sometimes. We'd still just hang out in a parking lot. For what? We'd just eat french fries and sit there. That's <laughs> cool, though, because like, I feel like that's more intimate. Yeah, that's true. That's, I did have roommates, so. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's when you have like the best times is like when you're alone in the parking lot, you know, mm-hmm. talking. It always makes me think fondly about McDonald's french fries. <laughs> of all the things, not even like a relationship. I'm like, those french fries before we found out that they weren't vegan friendly. Damn. I miss them. I miss them so much. <laughs> but yeah, that was basically the most fun I've had. We literally spent the whole day together, which we haven't done in a while because I've been working and going to school. You've been busy as fuck. Yeah, I have been busy as fuck. And it's like, it sucks. Because <laughs> I actually was telling her, like, um, last week that, like, I just kind of, like, feel alone just because of how often I'm at school or, like, work. Like, I feel like I don't see my family that much anymore. You like, don't have time to just hang out with people? Yeah, and it's like, it makes me sad, and I feel, like, lonely, because it's, like, when I do see them, it's, like, really quick, and it's, like, I miss hanging out with them. Have you considered, like, asking for less hours at work? No. You're, like, the money's good, though. I'm already part-time, you know? Yeah, that's true. Um... But, yeah, it just sucks. I am considering asking if I can, like, work like early mornings on the weekends just so i have like it's because i have those lame ass shifts where it's like one to nine. All day to work yeah i hate and it's like that. so annoying uh that was, i worked a similar shift whenever i was retail it'd be like two to close or something and i'm like cool so i'm gonna wake up sit around all day waiting to go to work not do anything fun and then go to work uh, that's I hate when that happens too because I have mm-hmm. Zoom two days a week, yeah. And when I have to work those days, I hate it because I'm like, dude, I just want to like chill all day, and I basically wake up like do schoolwork, like finish school, and then basically have to get ready for work. Oh fuck, that sucks so bad. I'm like, dude. Anyone but... who's going to school while also working, you're a god, and I don't understand. <laughs> I could not. I couldn't do it. <laughs> it's tough. Like, I'm tired. Like, I get a full night's rest, but I'm still, like, tired. Well, yeah, you're just, like, go, go, go all day. Yeah. No well, rest. Like, Even when you're not working, you have to, like, do school and learn new shit. Yeah, like, today I woke up at 8 because I took my sister to school. And then I came home and basically was just prepping to go to school online. God. And then now we're recording, and then probably right after, I'm going to have to start getting ready for work. And I have a full shift today. Uh, what time do you work today? 2.30. Okay, cool. For some yeah. reason, I was thinking 12.30, and I was like, wait, do we only have an hour? 
And oh, I was like, no, 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 I know. I don't think you'd plan it like that because that no. would blow. <laughs> I'm like not even ready. I'd be like dressed already if if that was the case. I mean, you look dressed. You're wearing. Oh, this is how I imagine you're dressed: wearing a sweatshirt and a hat. Do you have a hat. uniform at Costco? No. <laughs> oh, I don't know the dress code. <laughs> um, there's not like a uniform per se, but like we do have. We um, like we can't wear ripped jeans or like sweatpants. So you can't be comfortable. Yeah, not really. Unfortunately. Um, but you, well, unless you wear like joggers, you can wear joggers. You can wear oh, you can wear jeans. As, you can wear jeans as long as they're not ripped. Um, for so guys, they look cute. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I had to buy new pants because most of my pants have like holes in them or like. Yeah, how am I supposed to let all the customers know that I'm cool? They won't even know. For females, they. You can basically wear whatever top as long as it's not revealing. Okay. And then for guys, they do require you to wear uh, collared shirts. So like a flannel or like a polo. You have to wear a collared shirt every day? Yeah. I mean, Whoa. it's okay I don't know why I'm surprised by this. But <laughs> yeah, but you should. But you should because that's kind of. That's so interesting. I mean, their yeah. dress codes aren't as bad as other people for sure. Yeah, definitely not. Like, it's not super uniformed. You can wear, like, fucking Target. You always had to wear a red shirt and khakis. Yes. <laughs> that was the oh, bitch. That's such an I hated wearing khakis. Yeah, too. I was like, I fucking hated wearing khakis. <laughs> Let's wear beige and red together. <laughs> I would honestly just wear black ones and then say it was that time of the month. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, whoa, you're on your period a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have some medical issues. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah actually during the weekend at the store i worked at they it was like a, they always let you wear jeans only on the weekend though i remember um, at our old job uh we there wasn't really a dress code but mm. they low-key started a dress code because me and one other coworker would wear like crop tops and stuff sometimes and i remember whenever <laughs> they like they were announcing that we couldn't wear crop tops anymore i was wearing one and i was like Oops. Well, my stomach's out right now. Well, I'm looking a fool. <laughs> I mean, I deadass would used to go in fucking sweatpants like all the time. No, we could still wear sweatpants for sure. No, I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> no other job. Yeah. Can you no. do that? When you work in the cannabis <laughs> industry, they really can't judge you for what you're wearing. <laughs> unless it's a crop top, I and guess. It's super lax. Like deadass. Yeah. That was my whole closet was freaking sweatpants and t-shirts i know i just didn't get out much so i was like oh i'm gonna dress up and then they're like no dressing up <laughs> just wanted not to wear a crop allowed. not allowed they body shamed me they're like we don't want to see your stomach <laughs> what a bunch of bitches <laughs> Dead. yo whenever i worked retail they decided I also, the same worker that would sometimes wear crop tops at my other job, I got her that job at our old company because I used to work retail with her. And she's very into like bands and metal and stuff. And she would wear band shirts all the time. And they randomly decided that we couldn't wear band t-shirts anymore to work. Really? <laughs> it was fucked up. They also, that. yeah. They also said we couldn't wear spaghetti straps and we couldn't have like bralettes showing. And I swear to God, our district manager was the fucking worst she's the one who like wouldn't even let me leave work when i found out my stepbrother died she was like oh, i have to go feed my dog and like wouldn't call in someone else to let me leave uh yeah she sucked 
But she she was wearing a spaghetti strap dress with a bralette showing and had me go and dress code a new girl who was wearing like the same exact outfit as her. And I was like, please, why are you making me do I even told the girl too. I was like, I don't want to tell you this. I think this is dumb. But she said I need to. It was so stupid. I'm like, we're not in a middle school. You can wear a spaghetti strap. It's not a big deal. <laughs> That's so <good. laughs> It is ridiculous. Especially because we'd always be like wearing stuff from the store. I'm like, we're just advertising the clothes. But yeah, that was annoying. Dress clothes are in general pretty dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, (laughs) Hmm. anything else been happening? Actually, I don't remember when it was. It was a few days ago at work. This like, this uh, little white old lady approached me mm-hmm. asking about like men's sweaters um she was looking for like a warmer one and she wears like men's like flannels or jackets um mm-hmm. but i was like telling her how we didn't really have any because they're like out of season and just in general we didn't get a lot of like the season stuff this year because of covid and who knows what because san diego um, was 80 degrees in january <laughs> basically <laughs> But she was, like, really wanted something, and I was like, well, I mean, there isn't any. And then we found some, but they only had, like, the super large sizes. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She was just really sweet. I spent a lot of time with her. I was so afraid you were going to say, like, she was a fucking bitch. No, she was really <laughs> sweet. And um, then she started, like, petting, like, something in her bag, and I was like, what the fuck? And then... What? A little dog like peeked his head Stop out of the it. bag. Yes, it was a little Yorkie. I was like, no. Ah! I was like, it's so cute. I'm in love with this. And then she was like, and then she was like, there's no Wookiee here. And I was like, <laughs> was like you like, have you seen Star Wars? I was like, yes, I love Star Wars. And then she did it again. She's like, there's no Wookiee here. <laughs> you guys made a friendship connection at Costco. <laughs> For real. She was really sweet. And then she was like, and then it got sad because she was telling me that her puppy's like, or her dog, it's not a puppy, that she's like close to the end and she's Aww. like blind and deaf. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, don't tell me that. And then she was oh, just like, pup. yeah, she was really sweet. And then she was like, thank you for like letting me get that off my chest. And I was like, like, of course, like, like, yeah. like I don't know. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> but yeah, it was a cool experience. That's cute. And you got to see a dog. Yeah, he was so cute. Oh, little Yorkies. Mm-hmm. But um, oh, I did get like a design on the side of my head. Let me see if I. Can oh my it. god, I was thinking a tattoo for a second. I was like, no. what? Oh, let me just send you the picture because it's kind of sure. growing out on my head already. Did you do it or someone else did it? No, a classmate did it. Actually, it looks pretty cool. Oh, what the fuck? That looks hella good. So, <laughs> it's kind of like on the side of his head, a little, it's almost like a V, but like sideways. Like a or like a v N, v or a C yeah. backwards. Oh, yeah, it's more like a backwards Z. <laughs> Whenever you said Z, I thought you said C, and I was like, it's nothing like a C, but okay. <laughs> it's like little sharp lines and stuff. It looks really good. That's like what Cherie wanted to do to my undercut, and she just like butchered it. Probably. Damn. 
It's because it is harder to do it on an undercut because it's like a smaller area. Yeah, right. But it is possible, I think, with like, you just got to take your time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks really good. My classmate did it. It was only his second time, like, trying a design. And I was like, yo, this looks really good for your second time. It looks very sharp. It's already yeah. growing back, though. Yeah, it's already growing yeah. back. And he actually added more to it. Let me send you the other one. But I like better, like, the first version. Oh, damn. He went, like, all the way back. It looks like a little devil's tail in the back of your head, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I got that a lot. <laughs> I like I liked the first version a little more. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, the first one's like a backward Z kind of on the side. And then the other one, it looks like it's continued and turns into a regular Z. But then, like, loops on the back of your head. And kind of looks like a little arrow, like a little devil's tail. Yeah, the arrow is an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, I liked it I better like just it when it was the backward C, like the first part of it. Mm-hmm. But it's already it's growing back. back though, so. yeah. <laughs> I'm probably just gonna let it keep growing. You only then... are gonna have to wait like a week. <laughs> <laughs> probably, and then maybe he could try another design. That's sick. Get the spooky shit logo. Could practice. Just a whole ass ghost. <laughs> Robert made um, pancakes before. Like last year, he was trying out making pancakes shaped and he made the little ghost. <laughs> well, that's cool. It actually looked very nice. <laughs> Maybe I will ask him, see if he could do it. That'd, That'd be, be cool. great. And even if it looks bad, it'll grow back and you wear hats all the time. True. I just More can't wear them to know. work or school. Oh, okay. So if it looks weird, that'd be kind of funny at work. Yeah. Like, is that a ghost on your head? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a crazy story to share if you're all done. Okay. Okay. So last week, I was streaming per usual. It was kind of a weird week. Uh, Leah, my sister, and I, we had our friend visiting. It's like Leah's best friend, but she's still my friend. Shout out, Emily. <laughs> well, because whenever I was telling people like that I was hanging out with all of them, I was like, just to be clear, like she was sleeping at like my sister's house and stuff because they're closer. At least that's what we tell Leah, you know, to make her feel better. Uh, so anyway, I wasn't streaming much. And then one day I did stream because I wasn't hanging out with them. And it was so weird. So in old school RuneScape, there's this area called the wilderness. And once you're in the wilderness, people, players can kill each other, which you can't do anywhere else. So they're called PKers for player killers. And basically the wilderness, you try not to go because people could fucking kill you and you'll lose shit. You get to keep like three items if you die, but still. So I don't bring like anything. I bring like the cheapest stuff and I just bring like food. And I went there because I was doing a clue scroll. And clue scrolls, you basically just follow a bunch of steps all over the little world. And they give you rewards at the end. So I was doing this. And I was fighting some, like, monsters in the wilderness. And there was one person on my left and one person on my right. The person on my right started PKing me. So they started, like, hitting me with spells and stuff. And then the person on the left was fucking funny because whenever I was fighting the monster, they were like, kick them in the balls. And then they're like, <laughs> they're like, oh, you're getting fucked up. And then they're like, oh, there's a PKer. Because they didn't see the person either. And they were just like, yo, these little wizard dudes are fucking you up. 
But um, I thought the same thing. I was like, bro, why are they hitting me so hard? Because I didn't see that I was getting hit by someone else. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, they were like, oh, you're getting PK'd. And I was just like, LOL, I'm just going to try and eat all my food before I die. Because I can't fight a PKer. I came in with like the most shit gear. Like there was absolutely no way. I just ate all my food and was like, all right, well, at least it won't. He won't get much money whenever I die. And that's how I feel. That's my main thing for PKers. I'm like, if you're going to kill me, I'm going to make sure you don't get much money off of me. (laughs) (laughs) So after I said like the LOL, I'm just going to eat all my food, which I don't think is. I feel like that's the most mild thing you could say when getting murdered in this game. Yeah. And the PKers said STFU, you know, like shut the fuck up. And I was like, (laughs) all right, that was weirdly harsh. And I died and didn't think anything of it. Just continued on with my stream. And it was great timing because in the chat, we're actually talking about people in the gaming community who are like toxic and stuff. And someone was like, yeah, I feel like this chat's very like chill, though. Like no one's really toxic. And then somebody came in to the chat and they just immediately like did the command to find our discord, which felt weird. Usually people will say hi before they are like, let me join your discord. But I was like, "Okay, whatever. And I was like, oh, how's it going? And they responded and she said like, she was good and blah 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 so i was like okay maybe this is normal she just started out weird but then in discord if you don't know is basically you could like talk to people online you could chat and there's also like voice and video chat too if you want but then after saying how she was she was like do you want to voice chat and i was like no i'm good and then she kept like insisting she i was just I thought it was fucking weird because this is like the first time I ever spoke to this person. I'm like, I'm not going to voice chat you, but I didn't want to seem rude in case she was just like, like just awkward or something. So Mm. I was like, no, it's I've done in the past and it's just distracting me. And she's like, I'm not distracting. And I was like, no, it's not you. It's like, (laughs) it's not you. It's me basically saying I'd get distracted. And then whenever I shot her down for like the third time, she just typed my full name in the chat. Which I don't have my full name anywhere for Boon Babe. What the fuck? I know. I said my full name on here. So it's not hard to find out, honestly. Like, all you have to do is just, like... I probably fucking tagged myself on Instagram somewhere for spooky shit, you know? It's probably not hard to find. But I was still, like, freaked out. And I was like, what the fuck? And then she went on our Discord. And spam put a racist thing over and over again like a racist i hesit i hesitantly say meme because it's not really a meme it was just supposed to be like a racist joke and it was fucked up she posted that over and over and each message included my full name in it and we went and like deleted that and stuff and we banned her and then she joined she made a second account and joined for a second and was trying to say my full name and then we like we just blocked her on everything. And I had to like pause the stream for like 10 minutes because I was like freaking out because I don't know anything about Discord. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know how to block her. I don't know how to do anything. And we found out from one of one of the other people on our stream who went to like investigate that apparently the person who PK'd me in the wilderness didn't like that I had an an attitude i guess because i ate my food and i didn't beg for my life like they probably wanted so they paid her to come and try and get my stream and discord banned what the fuck bro yeah and we found out i guess she's done this to other people if i'd gone on the voice chat she was just gonna say the n-word a bunch of times to get me banned wow 
It was fucking weird. It was so weird. I'm like, why would you do that for any amount of money? Like, how fucked up are you? But, yeah. Everyone was being very nice about it. (laughs) And I was receiving a lot of nice messages. But still, I'm like, bro. I didn't even say anything that bitchy whenever I died. I just said, I'm going to eat all my food. And they were like, this bitch deserves to get banned. (laughs) Wow. So that was fun. (laughs) That kind of made me not stream much for a few days after that because I was just like scared they were going to show back up. Now I'm back to normal, but it was intense for a few days. I was just like worried. I feel like they probably do it so much that after that night, they probably didn't even think about me again. But now I'm like all paranoid. (laughs) Yeah. Damn. People suck. No, right? I'm just glad that they didn't like figure out my address and start saying that because my name, to be fair, would you could find it if you want you know it's fucking stupid i was talking about last night because somebody that comes by shout out fresco you don't listen to this they they were like oh i already knew your name and i've like ordered something from them from etsy so i thought they went from etsy and they're like no i knew before that and i remembered whenever leah who is my sister we share the same last name whenever she first started showing up on my stream and she gifted a few subs so her name was like on a leaderboard her full username was our name, like her name, her first name, and then our last name. So I was like, okay, I mean, it's really not that hard for people to find out my last name. Literally, yeah. it used to be on a leaderboard. <laughs> I had to tell her to change it. I'm like, Leah, why do you, why are you like doxing us right now? You're just keeping your full name on it. <laughs> but it was fucking wild. Kind of scary, but Yeah. <laughs> I've been waiting to tell you this. I was so excited to tell you last week. I didn't tell the podcast, like the the listeners. I was like, what's it called? The people who listen. I didn't tell (laughs) you guys yet because I wanted to tell Brayden at the same time. (laughs) Well, damn. That sucks. Fucking people. I know. Fucking people. But anyway, we can uh, just hop into these stories because I have absolutely nothing else (laughs) going (laughs) on. That's all I have. But I have one crazy story and nothing else. Oh, actually, one other thing. I've been seeing an EMDR therapist uh, for my anxiety, and she said I don't need to see her anymore. Wow. I guess you're checking next month to make sure I'm still killing it because I didn't feel anxious at all driving uh, Emily and Leah around last week. And That's I drove Hazard's run too, so I'm a god, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's really but good. Yeah, those are my two exciting things. One's nice. exciting in a good way. One's bad exciting. <laughs> True. But yeah, I, I'm i ready for some creepypasta personally. All right, let's do it then. I love how sudden this was, but we're getting into it. <laughs> Why not? All right, this one's titled One Shot. And it is from Tumblr. I remember when you were just a little girl, your mother and I tried our best to give... You a home where you couldn't be hurt since we lived in a bit of a shady part of town. When you were just a toddler, you would always follow me around the house with that cute little smile of yours, showing me that you still loved me, even after what I had done to the family. Maybe you didn't know that I divorced your mother and took custody of you because of your undeveloped brain. No, a child naturally loves his or her mother more, right? Anyways, remember that time at Jack's 10th birthday party when you accidentally tripped and fell face first into the large cake? 
You were so embarrassed and you felt so sorry, but everyone was laughing. Not at you, but with you. I washed your face off, but then you started crying. You asked me why you were such a mess up. I told you that you were just nine and still making some mistakes, but mistakes help make you a good person. You countered my question almost instantly with another question. How does falling into a cake make me a better person? <laughs> Fair question. <laughs> we both snickered and moved on, but you asking me why you thought you were a mess up surprised me, but I let it go. Do you remember visiting your uncle for the first time and seeing your slightly older cousins? You were so shy in front of them. It was actually adorable. They saw you by a tree in, front, in the front yard and tried to get you to play but you just hid behind it. It looked like you were about to cry. I tell y'all, it took ages for you to break out of your shell and play with them, but it was worth it. You formed a bond with your cousins that no one could ever break. I guess that's the thing about you, the way your personality is built. You're shy and lonely, so when you get a friend, you naturally form a strong bond with him or her. Hey... You formed a strong bond with me too, even though I was just your father. With the ways I acted and talked, it felt like I was just a stranger. Yet you know when someone says a man changes when he becomes a father? I realized when you were born that I couldn't hurt you. But that makes this even more difficult. The man clenches the handle of his already loaded forty-four Magnum. He stands on the other end of a closed door, left hand on the knob, ready to bust in. I can't say that you're my daughter anymore. I know you are somewhere deep inside that monstrous shell. The man's eyes begin to drip salty liquid as he clenches the doorknob. I need to end your suffering, sweetie. Just one shot to the head and it'll be over. It'll be quick. Soft grunts and snarls come from the other end of the door where the man stands. I love you, sweetie. He quickly twists the knob and throws the door open, seeing his bloodied and disfigured daughter on the bed eating a rotten corpse. It only took one shot. <laughs> Is she like a fucking zombie? Fuck, it sounds like it. Some kind of something the happened. Fuck? I thought this was going to end with like, it wasn't really her dad and it was like a stalker. And that I was not expecting supernatural. That's for sure. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Ew. <laughs> that took a crazy turn. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I gotta read this one. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> All right. My first one is a little lot longer. Uh, a little lot longer. Okay. <laughs> a little lot longer. So this is called Ignore the Earwig by Brian A. Young. In many communities, urban legends are a rite of passage. Most of us have grown up with some form of a tall tale, whether it was something as ridiculous as growing watermelon in your stomach because you ate its seeds, or downright terrifying like being taken by a demonic woman because you said her name three times in a mirror. Though they may not have much in common on the surface, their significance goes beyond the tales themselves. Urban legends provide children with their first real test of critical thinking. Even if every kid in your class is adamant that some miraculous claim is valid, you're never too sure. In your own growing curiosity, you ask questions, do research, and piece together information from your own understanding of the world. 
To us adults, it may seem insignificant to determine that Warmon actually won't grow in your stomach or that Slenderman didn't actually steal the kid who's found sick. But in reality, it's the process of logical thinking and finding the truth with verifiable evidence that becomes so valuable later on in life. And it's for these exact reasons that the tale of the earwig strikes a deep-seated dread in every person living in my town. The earwig is a creature born of collective fear, as the story goes. A human-sized bug that waits in the darkness, fixing its body into the tiniest corner so that it can observe you from afar. Long antennas sense the slightest movement. Quick legs and a flexible body allow to squeeze into every nook and cranny to evade your eye. Unsure of your surroundings, you search but to no avail. Only when you think you've checked every corner possible do you reluctantly accept that you're alone. Little do you know that the moment you let your guard down is the moment it glides silently towards you to inject a paralyzing neurotoxin into your neck. The debilitating pain is unbearable, and you thrash around in a desperate attempt to fight back, but a tough exoskeleton protects it from anything you could hope would hurt it. As your body begins to tire and as your muscles start to seize, fleshy tentacles emerge from an undulating thorax and shoot a sticky material to hold you in place. At the same time, a flexible proboscis pierces your abdomen. It secretes a substance to turn your insides into a soup and happily slurps it up. Once it's had its fill, yeah, I'm sorry, that was really graphic. <laughs> I read it out loud and I was like, should I done a warning? <laughs> Once it's had its fill, a second appendage quickly injects thousands of maggots into what will now serve as a petrified cocoon. Horrifying behavior aside, the story of the earwig isn't simply one of formidable predator. It's one of a creature who, by some unknown means, has conquered the very concept of uncertainty itself. What happens when a being finds a way to always potentially exist? Not just when you finally decide to open your eyes and turn around, but under your bed, in your closet, in every dark place you've never thought to check. Until you know for a fact that something is or isn't there, the answer to what fills that space is unknown. In that uncertainty, the earwig finds a home. The more people think about the possibility of its existence, the more it has a chance to find its way into our reality. At first, the kids couldn't possibly understand the ramifications of the tale. For them, it was just a stupid thing they'd say to scare each other. Don't think about the earwig or it'll already be too late, they'd say. When one's mad at a classmate or teacher, they'd shout the name three times or draw them a picture of it to make sure the target of their eye or kept the beast in mind. Others would play the long game, finding a victim and making mention of the earwig to them every single day. For most, it was supposed to be harmless kid fun, a dumb myth like any other. As they grew older, they'd forget and laugh when their friends brought it up as adults. But one day, the laugh stopped when a girl was found dead in her room. Her body had seemingly petrified overnight, and what looked like maggots were crawling in and out of her nose. Nobody could figure out what had led to her death. Had she simply stopped breathing? An abnormal medical condition, perhaps? There were no signs of foul play, just a few marks that looked like she'd been stuck by a hypodermic needle. But there was no break-in, and the parents surely didn't harm her. So what had led to that tragedy? Sad and confused, the town's children did their best to cope with the event. At first, there was genuine mourning for the young girl, but in a short amount of time, they attached her death to the only thing that made sense in their underdeveloped minds. Soon, the earwig had become synonymous with taking the young girl's life. In the minds of the children, she was its first official kill. Almost as if the universe wanted to confirm their suspicions, soon after, another person was found dead. This time, a grown man. A teacher who, in all fairness, was hated by much of his class. Like the girl, his body was some petrified with maggots crawling out of every orifice. Needle marks were found on his neck, 
and some unidentifiable mucus-like substance stuck him to his bed. But unlike the girl, he had a more direct connection to the creature. Drawings of what appeared to be an imposing bug filled his mailbox. Paper he was grading had earwig written all over it, with more crudest pictures of a similar-looking beast drawn on the back. While the local police couldn't take this as any more than a coincidence, and while none of the kids involved faced punishment, it certainly raised the eyebrows of the townsfolk. All the while, word of the earwig was going from urban legend to something that people truly began to fear. As time went on, more deaths came in the exact same manner. Never an overwhelming amount, but concerning number nonetheless. While some seemed completely unrelated to the creature, most undeniably had some sort of connection to it. It ultimately reached the point where even the most hardcore skeptics wouldn't dare say its name for fear of bringing a plague upon someone else's home, or worse, their own. A young boy played out in his front yard on a sunny Sunday afternoon. Two neighborhood kids the same age were walking by and stopped to talk to him for a second. A quick exchange of pocket cash was made. The young boy disappeared into his house and then soon emerged with a piece of chalk. He casually walked over the sidewalk and began to draw something as the two boys stood over him and giggled. He didn't even finish half the word before his father came rushing out of the house like it was on fire. The man scooped his son up with one arm while punt-kicking the fallen piece of chalk across the street. Mr. Ned, as the kids called him, was one of the calmest individuals in town. A delightfully happy religious man who never raised his voice, who never raised his voice even, was now beat red. He screamed at the two neighborhood boys to get the hell away from his house before turning his attention to his son and yelled, You will never fucking do that again. Do you understand me? He had been shouting with so much force that others couldn't help but peek out their windows to see what the commotion was. One woman even stepped outside to inquire about what was going on. Mr. Ned met her confused gaze with a snarl. Nearly the same level of force he had spoken to his son with, he screamed at her to go inside before marching back into his home with a vice grip on his son's arm. From that day forward, the young boy wasn't allowed out of his house for anything except school until he was ready to leave for college. Supposedly, the two boys who had thought it would be funny to pay the kid to draw the creature's name in public met an even harsher punishment at home. Quickly, word of the earwig wasn't that of a legend to the townspeople. They were fact. Just as the sun rose in the sky, so too did the earwig descend in the dark. For them, talk of anything even resembling the creature was taboo, and any slip-ups were met with zero tolerance and swift retribution. There were even instances of police coming to arrest people they heard were spreading the creature's name. False charges were quickly applied, and people were more than willing to lie in court to shut someone up for good. Though it may seem like a mighty overreaction from the outside, it's important to remember what fear does to people, especially when that fear had been justified by years of evidence. When your life and the lives of your loved ones are put in danger because of mere thoughts, it would seem appropriate that people will go to extreme measures to prevent those thoughts from ever forming. And when the earwig was off the minds of the people, life was good. The hope was that like all things not acknowledged, the legend would fade into irrelevance and eventually non-existence. But scattered whispers and an irrefutable feeling of constantly walking on eggshells kept the thoughts alive, and by extension, the earwig still ate. Every now and then, another death would surface. The townsfolk had played off as natural causes or a particularly gruesome homicide, but deep down, they knew the truth. As a kid, my friends and I were bolder with the legend. Though we didn't dare speak of the earwig to the degree previous generations had, we played with the concept enough that we put ourselves in real danger of retaliation. Strange as it was, it felt like we were carrying on a tradition. For us, the idea of playing with something so sinister felt fun. In our minds, we were invincible. It felt like we could touch the edge of death, but our youth and hubris would always pull us back onto the safe ground. 
As we got older, the frequency of the story faded until eventually we had gone years without speaking of it. I was 17 in my last year of high school when it ultimately came up again. My friends and I were hanging out before school when we were approached by a kid named Dean Mendez. Dean always had a passion for the macabre and would tell anyone who would listen about the creepy things he found on the internet. Usually, he'd be excited to tell people about the various things he'd find, but that day he seemed spooked. His eyes were puffy and red, and his hair was a tangled mess. I saw him walking towards us, and as he got close, I went to say hello, but he approached me first. I need to speak with you, alone, Dean said, placing his hand on my shoulder a little too tightly. My immediate impulse was to tell him to let go and take a few steps back as I was hit with an odor that no doubt resulted from skipping the shower for the past few days. But despite my initial reservations, I also got the strong sense that Dean needed help. Whatever led him to this condition was obviously pretty severe. And if he needed to talk to me about something that would help him, then so be it. I checked the time and saw they had quite a bit before my first period class, so I told my friends I'd catch up with them later and walked off with Dean. As we walked, I tried to ask him what was up, but he insisted I would get away from where other people could hear because he was scared they'd judge him. At this point, I'm a little concerned about my own safety. Still, I felt comfortable escaping confrontation by valuing the difference in our size and playing with the Swiss army knife I kept in the front pocket for self-defense. Once he felt we were far enough from prying ears, he stopped and started to cry. I messed up really bad, man. I messed up really, really bad, he said with his face buried in his hands. I tried to tell him whatever it was, he'd be okay and that I was here for him regardless. You don't understand, he told me. I went too far. I went way too far. Took a minute before I could get him to calm down, and only when he stopped crying could I get him to actually explain himself. What happened? I asked. There was a pause. Dean looked around a moment before taking a step towards me and wrapping his hands around my shoulders again. I summoned the goddamn earwig, he stated. I was so curious about the legends, if they were true. For the past month, I committed myself to making sure that it was real. I, I had to see it. I needed proof. That's what curious people do, right? They investigate things. See if they could find the craziness in our world, and I freaking found it, but I didn't know it would be like this. For a moment, I was confused, but then my mind suddenly flashed back to all the childhood stories and made connections between the strange deaths and a weird behavior around the name. But as far as I remembered, the earwig has always killed its victims, left them nothing but a corpse filled with its children, and yet Dean looked perfectly healthy. I asked him how it was possible. If he had indeed summoned the earwig, then how was he still alive, and why was he talking to me about it? He shrugged. All Dean knew was that it wanted him to speak to a few of the people he knew in exchange for his life, remind them that it was still here. It gave him a list of people, and he'd been struggling with what it would mean to follow his instructions since that day. But ultimately, Dean had to choose life. I wanted to be angry for what he'd done to me. I wanted to scream and tell him to get far away and never look in my direction again, but I knew it wouldn't help. I could see the fear in his eyes, and his physical condition showed a kid who clearly didn't want to be doing what he was doing, but he had no choice. For half the day, I existed in a strange stupor. All I could think about was how I'd get myself out. It wasn't until a conversation I had with my friends about how they were stressing about school did I realize I couldn't contribute to the intrusive thoughts. I needed to take my mind elsewhere. It was hell to try. I did everything possible to distract myself over the coming days. But no matter what I did, the intrusive thoughts found their way in. Drugs, music, conversations, picking up new interests, laser focusing on my other stressors. Nothing mattered. Even my then-girlfriend got annoyed by how much I wanted to hear about what was on her mind instead of speaking my own thoughts. The worst part was that I couldn't reach out to others to explain and call for help without dragging them in. Every day felt like a challenge to keep my mind preoccupied, and I dreaded the moment night hit. 
Taking sleeping pills early in the evening became routine as I couldn't risk being alone with my thoughts in the dark for any period of time. To my horror, my parents had told me they were going on a surprise honeymoon vacation and would be gone for the weekend. When I explained how much I didn't want them to leave, they were shocked. A teenage boy gets the house all to himself for a weekend and he's not stoked? Unfathomable. Finally, it was just me in the dark. It all came to a head the same Friday when I couldn't get to sleep. The sleeping pills weren't working like I had hoped and I was tossing and turning and the same questions were playing in my mind. Why him? Why me? What does it want? The questions swirled in my brain. I couldn't help but visualize the thing perched on my ceiling, watching me as I struggled. Every sound in the dark was magnified. Was it coming for me? Was it something else? Was it real at all? A tingling sensation shot down my spine, and I shot up in a cold sweat, staring into the void before me, waiting for the creature to lunge forward in the dark. Minutes passed as I sat there, paralyzed in fear. The darkness in my room perfectly reflected the uncertainty of my mind. It felt as though I could put my hand out, and the odds of feeling something were equal to the odds of feeling nothing. I couldn't take it. I sprang up from my bed and made a mad dash for the light, flicking it on and seeing nothing. Just my room as I'd left it. I breathed a massive sigh of relief and went to sit on my bed, content to stay up all night until the sun came up. I reached for my phone and the screen read 1am. I'd have to stay up quite a while, but it was worth it. I figured I'd need some coffee and slowly began to make my way to the kitchen. Walking down the hall, I turned on the light to the living room and sitting on the wall between it and the kitchen was a massive black bug. My body felt it was made of stone. I dared not move as its long antenna searched the air, sensing for the slightest vibrations. I tried to think of an exit plan, but there weren't any good options. The two I immediately settled on were running back to my room or making a dash for the front door. I figured that at least at the second option, I wouldn't be trapped with the thing bearing down on me. A single turn of my foot sent its antenna into a frenzy. In the blink of an eye, the thing was skittering down the wall and across the floor towards me. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize my first time reading that they said a human-sized bug either. I was just imagining, like, a normal big bug. So, yeah, fuck that shit. I moved towards the front door, hoping I could reach in time, but it cut me off and shot a sticky substance at my feet. I jumped back just as it hit the ground and turned on a dime towards my room, but only got a couple feet before I could feel something solid on my back. I was yanked backwards, and from the moment I hit the ground, it became impossible to stand back up. Just like that, I was caught. The earwig slowly approached me, crawling over me as if it were pacing, trying to decide what to do. Eventually, it settled on standing in front of me, clasping its mandibles together in front of my face. An eel-like tongue slithered out and licked me. But then it gave me some space. Instead of doing what I had done to so many others, it reared up onto its rear legs and revealed a hole with what looked like teeth surrounding it. A mucus-covered, lumpy mass emerged slowly from the hole until it stuck out a few inches. From that mass, two small slits peeled away to reveal milky white eyes. Even though the eyes looked blind, they searched around the room before finally landing on me. Once they had locked onto my location, an awful, wet, tearing sound followed. Just a few inches under the eyes, a mouth had now formed, with long, rotten teeth protruding from puffy gums. To my shock, the face embedded in this abominable creature was capable of speech. No need for fear today. You will not die today. Not by me. It hissed in a deep, buzzy voice. I require your assistance. In return, I will no longer hunt you or your family. This is a fair deal. All I could manage to stammer out was a weak... What? The creature took a couple steps forward, and the face extended out slightly to come closer to mine. Life in exchange for a service. Easily understood. Easily fulfilled. 
What do you want from me? I continued to stammer, fighting back tears. I just want to go back to bed, please. The corner of its non-existent lips slightly curled into what I think was supposed to be its version of a smile. The face slightly retracted into the hole before coming out again and speaking. You must plant my seed. I will give you time to figure out how. But eventually, you must find a way to bring my tail to the masses so that they know my name. Forever. I remember thinking it was like a virus. A virus whose host is thought itself. And with the number of hosts in our town dwindling, it was using me as a way of branching out. Doing what it wanted would put so many people in danger. But even so, with a satanic spawn bearing over me, the only thing I could say was, yes, it'll be done. Seemingly satisfied, the creature's face began to retract back into the hole, but a part of me wouldn't let it go. I shout for it to stop, and to my surprise, it did. Why? I blurted out. Why do this? If you're intelligent, you must understand what kind of pain you cause us. Why not coexist? My question seemed to baffle the creature. For a moment, the corner of its mouth dropped low, and its eyes excreted pus from the corners before returning to a neutral expression. Why does the spider eat the fly? Why does the lion hunt the antelope? Why do humans slaughter the pigs, the fish, each other? It's in their nature. It flashed its suit a smile again. Aren't our lives more important than nature? I cried out. When we kill, it's only to preserve ourselves. What you just is beyond that. It paused again and spit towards me for speaking. How selfish to think self-preservation is only for you. I feed to sustain myself. You shift ecosystems and make entire species go extinct to sustain vanity. Surely you understand the pain you cause as well as I. The creature began to wrap its body around me. Dozens of sharp legs poked into my skin. The difference is, this time, you're the ones being hunted. You should be thankful I haven't yet decided to eat much more than my fill. I could feel the tingle of a stinger softly being pressed against my neck. I squeezed my eyes shut, preparing for a painful injection, but as soon as it had come, it was gone. I reluctantly opened my eyes, and luckily, I was completely alone when I did. Not only that, but I had gained my freedom of movement back. Still, I didn't feel free, and I most certainly didn't feel safe. The only thing I felt comfortable doing at that moment was contemplating. For the first time in a long time, I knew I wouldn't be in danger because of my thoughts, but that fear for myself was replaced with concern for others. Little did I know that that contemplation would take years. Not knowing what the ethical decision was, how long I had to make it, or why I had to be the one to make it has been hard. Some days I'd be so sure I was about to do the right thing, and others I couldn't be more uncertain. It wasn't until I started writing more seriously that I finally found my answer. I don't consider myself a particularly good writer or storyteller, but at the very least, I think learning how to communicate an idea is a skill you can build over time. As I've grown as a writer, so too is my ability to communicate a message. Thinking back to my high school days, there was rarely a time when I wasn't making up stories, either showing them to friends and family or posting them anonymously online. Not only that, but I always dreamed of getting out of the town I was in, branching out, so to speak. I think that's what the earwig saw. Someone who can communicate an idea to an audience outside of the idea's birth. And in the end, I did choose to communicate the story of the earwig. My safety and the safety of those I care about are far too important to risk by not doing it. And for those who will inevitably be impacted, I am so sorry. If there was another way to do this, I would. But before I am judged for my actions, I at least want a chance to be understood. This decision hasn't come easily, but ultimately, I believe the earwig always knew what I would do. I think it chose people it knew would always choose to cling to life. In that way, its spread was, is, inevitable. But the degree to which it spreads doesn't have to be. In making my choice, I figured I could communicate its message. Why can't I communicate mine as well? Who's to say that I don't warn you now? 
Who's to say that I don't tell you to do everything you can to ignore the earwig? So I am. Ignore the intrusive thoughts. Find distractions. Find other interests. Find reasons to convince yourself it's nothing more than a legend. Because if its existence is never a possibility, then neither are the consequences. And maybe, together, we can keep a tall tale just that. A tale. The end. Sheesh. Gotta love stories for the end it with, and now you're gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah. laughs> you know, this really? weirdly reminded me, I don't know if you guys ever played this. We would always play a game that we'd call the game, and you lose it by thinking of it. And it reminded me of that. Because whenever I was reading this, and they're like, I haven't thought of it in years. And I just thought to myself, oh, I just lost the game. <laughs> it's the dumbest <laughs> shit. We'd always go like a few hours, and then someone would be like, oh, I just made you lose the game. And everyone would be like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so rather than think of the earwig, I'm just going to think of the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. This one is called The Simplicity of It All. Okay. By Andrew LaBelle. You're taking a shower. It's not that type of shower you take before a job interview. Maybe aiming for your cleanliness to impress somebody or someone supposedly worthy of impressing. Nor is it the type of shower you take after a long workout at the gym or after a jog, or after whatever it is that applies to you. No, you're in the bathroom right now, standing under the soothing beam of hot water with wisps of steam spiraling off your back because you've got nothing better to do tonight and you like that squeaky clean feeling before hitting the hay. And although this isn't your first shower today, at least you can sleep easy knowing you're cleansed of the day's many stresses. Soap, shampoo, it's all there. You don't so much as touch it. For now, you're just letting the water stream filter through your pores and enjoying the simplicity of it all. The lights go out. Startled, your feet squeal on the floor of the shower and you pause to make sure the sound was from your own. The sound of the water hitting the floor in the dark. You feel as if you're not alone in the room, which is impossible because you're the only one in the oh. house. The, <laughs> <laughs> the sound of the switch has been unmistakable. You stay under it, under the water. You're one and only landmark, feeling around. Your hands meet the slippery shower tiles. And you feel like a mime trapped in a blank box as you fumble for the adjacent wall, then grab the curtain. Finally, something real. Something you can touch that's now in front of you and will stay static as you reclaim your bearings. Outside the shower, something starts choking. Stop it. You abruptly... <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> you abruptly stop breathing, straying to hear... It's a gut-wrenching cough that wheezes in and out, and your hand freezes before recoiling back to your torso in shock. And in the middle of the bathwater rain, noisily splashing by your feet, you hear its footsteps inching closer as it struggles to breathe. The thump of the pads on the floor stepping closer. You can do nothing but press your back against the wet wall behind you in paralysis to the point where the sounds are less than a foot away from where you remember the curtain to be. 
at your own eye level. That's when the lights come on and the choking stops. You shut off the water. All is quiet and you look to either side just in case, remembering all the horror movies you've seen in your entire life at this moment. Not a sound except the gurgling of the drain at your toes, sucking down the last of the water calmly like it had all been in your head and none of it happened. You're standing there, dripping wet and naked, when you realize you've got to step out and meet whatever's there, waiting on the other side of the curtain. I don't like that. (laughs) I always think shit like that whenever I'm in the shower. Especially, I'm going to start showering. When you close your eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Especially because, like, sometimes Robert, when I'm showering, will, like, go into the bathroom or, like, grab a brush or something and brush his hair. And sometimes he doesn't say anything, so I just hear the door open, and I'm like, please be Robert, please be Robert, please be Robert. (laughs) And all I have is just, like, a shitty razor that I use for, like, my legs and armpits. And I'm like, I guess I could try and cut someone with this if I need to. Oh, that's too funny. Oh, my God. That's... Oh, God. At first, I was just thinking, too, like, the power going out, and then you said that they heard the switch, and I was like, stop it. That's different. And this is why if I shower home alone, I lock our front door, which, I mean, it's always locked. I turn on our alarm, literally, and I lock the bathroom door and take a knife with me, because I'm like, not today, demons. Not today. Wow. Not catching me unprepared. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for my last story, I'm going to be reading The Chimney Man. This one is Christmas-themed, but I like it, so I'm going to go with it. And this one is written by Pin underscore Phantom 13. My dad built his dream cabin in the southern Ozarks back in 1991 and rewarded himself for achieving early retirement. The damn thing took nearly a year to build, what with the county having to actually build the road to my family's property at the top of a small mountain. I was 14 at the time, and yes, we were wealthy, but the cabin didn't reflect that. It was simple, unlike most of the atrocities you see in places like Aspen these days. And at that age, I was ruined into thinking that I'd rather live in a city where I'd have an easier time being spoiled rotten. I despise being there, to say the least. We moved into the cabin in midwinter, a couple weeks before Christmas. Everyone was excited, except me, to be moving in to enjoy Christmas morning in front of a big-ass fireplace my dad had gloated over. Amelia, my little sister, was six at the time, and she was elated that Santa would have such an easy entry point. Our old house didn't even have a chimney. Looking back, the first day was an omen, but there was no way we could have known. We pulled up to the cabin around noon on December 12th, my sister playing Kirby's Dreamland on her Game Boy and me listening to Nirvana on my Walkman. Again, I was not excited. Mom and Dad were chipper, as usual, and it was grating on my nerves. My dad wouldn't shut up about how he'd had the fireplace hooked into the central system so that all the heat would be distributed evenly throughout the house. We all began unloading what we had in the back of the Bronco. Everything else had been moved in at great expense a few days before. My father's annoyingly happy face drooped into a mild frown when he shouldered open the front door. Looks like the movers didn't care too much about the new carpet, he said sarcastically. There in the living room, starting where the wood floors ended from the foyer, was a trail of footprints in the carpet, apparently made with suit, leading from just in front of the entry to the fireplace to the back door. I snorted at my father's comment, which earned me a side eye from the which earned me a side eye for the ages from my mom. 
We sat down while we were carrying in our respective rooms, and of course, I was tasked with cleaning up the mess, so my dad called the moving company to complain. While I was scrubbing and fuming, it occurred to me that the footprints were in fact suit, that it would be hard to explain why the fireplace had already that it'd be hard to explain why the fireplace had already been used in a brand new cabin. At the time, I assumed that there had to have been a test run by the by the builder to ensure everything was in working order. It took me about an hour to bring the carpet to my parents' satisfaction, and then I promptly went to my new room to continue wallowing in my teenage angst. Same. <laughs> <laughs> me too, even as a 25-year-old. <laughs> that night, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched in the shower. That someone was standing just oh. on the other side of the curtain. I tried Yeah, right. I tried to ignore it, but the feeling worsened when I closed my eyes to wash my hair and face. Finally, I pulled back the curtain, feeling foolish for being such a wimp. Of course, I found nothing unusual. I heard off my paranoia as just being pissed off from the move and didn't think much of it. I didn't have another strange encounter for several days, but about a week after I got the shower stalker vibe, Amelia let my mom and I know about her new friend at the breakfast table. How did everyone sleep last night? My mother asked, trying to get through my solemn disdain. Fine, I replied through a mouthful of scrambled eggs. I played with a man behind the curtains, Amelia exclaimed. I told him he'd be in big trouble if he kept getting the rug dirty. Oh, that's wonderful, honey, my mom said. I'm glad you've made a new friend. Tell them I said thank you for not getting any more stains on the carpet. I swear to God, dude. Parents in these stories. <laughs> oh, the man behind the curtains. Cool. I'm glad you have a friend. <laughs> hate it <laughs> it made me bitter listening to my mom placate my sister while i was in social isolation mom just kept sipping her coffee and reading the newspaper that dad paid extra to have delivered out that far in the wilderness there was no fear in my sister's voice and neither was even remotely considered the possibility that her new friend was anything more than imaginary later that day i was taking some folded laundry to my sister's room i put in her drawer turned to walk out and i saw them Two charcoal shoe prints under the window curtain, as if someone had been hiding there. Initially, I disregarded them as left out for the moving crew, just like the others. I ignored them. Let mom clean them up, I thought to myself. But it kept nagging at me. It, I'd help Amelia get settled in her room, and I would have noticed them. They weren't there before. I still don't know why, but I never told my parents about them. I ultimately did go back to clean them up and carried on. Amelia surely had made them somehow as part of her relationship with her new friend. That night, December 23rd, I had trouble sleeping. The feeling that I was being watched had returned shortly after the discovery in Amelia's room, and I hadn't been able to shake it. I hadn't admitted to myself yet, but a microscopic part of me but a microscopic part of my imagination had begun to suspect something amiss. At 14, I still hadn't quite squashed my fear of ghosts. I kept looking across the room, into the back of my open closet, half expecting someone to be standing there, their shoes covered in black dust. I felt shame for being scared, but finally I drifted off sometime around midnight. I still can't remember what woke me. I just know that my sheets were damp as sweat when I came to. I felt again that I was being watched, and I began scanning the dark room for my blurry, just waking up vision. I followed my curtains down to the floor and saw them, soiled black feet poking out from beneath them. I jumped a bit, then rubbed my eyes and looked back. There were no shoes, but the curtain was moving ever so slightly. I looked at my closet door, which had been shut without a sound. Cowering, I pulled my blankets over my head, knowing that if I pulled them down, something would be there, sitting at the end of my bed. After a while, I tried to sleep, but couldn't. Of course, I was blamed the next day for the dirty tracks to and from my room. 
They began and ended in front of our fireplace, just like the first time, but they clearly led to my bedroom closet and back. My parents gave me a big speech about how I needed to accept my new circumstances and start treating everyone and everything with a lot more respect. I didn't have the energy to fight with them. All I could think about were the footprints and the thing that spent the night with me. I just rolled my eyes and accepted my punishment. Clean up the prints and then no Walkman until I straightened up. It wasn't like they'd believe me, so why say anything? I scrubbed the carpets that day in a daze, remembering that Amelia had, remembering what Amelia had said a few days before breakfast. My thoughts raced for rational explanations, but I kept arriving at this strange amalgamation of ghost and Santa Claus. Despite everything going on, I still had Christmas morning on my mind, just like anyone that age. Yet by the time I'd finished cleaning, I'd resigned myself to try and sort out what was going on. I would start with my sister. That night, after an almost silent dinner, I went to Amelia's room to do some gentle prying. As I rounded the doorframe, I found her staring up at the ceiling vent. The floor around her bed was covered in that morning's newspaper. What's all this for? I asked, trying to remain calm despite already knowing the answer. For the man that likes to hide in the curtains, she almost whispered. I told him I would keep the floor clean. He doesn't like leaving tracks because he's afraid I'll have to leave if mommy and daddy find out about him. He said that if I did that for him, he'd take me to visit his house. He says there are lots of other kids that I could play with. All of this she said as a matter of fact, as if she and the man had been friends for years and I should know these things. I almost lost what little cool I had left, my eyes widening, my mouth opening to scorn her for being so naive, but I caught myself, resolving to try and solve this mystery on my own, without shaming a six-year-old. As appalling as it was, I decided to use my sister as bait to catch whoever or whatever was leaving the damn footprints in the carpet and possibly planning a kidnapping. Okay, I began. Just make sure you tell mom and dad that all the newspapers were watercolors or something. That way they don't get suspicious. I will, she replied enthusiastically. Thank God Amelia was six and didn't need a lot of explanation. I left her in with a terrified curiosity, wondering what Christmas Eve would have in store. For what seemed to be the hundredth time, I lay in bed, unable to fall asleep. I watched my clock tick for seconds, minutes, hours. I knew that should anything actually arrive in Amelia's room, I'd hear the crumpling of paper. I also knew that Amelia would be awake, desperate not only for her new friend to come out, but also for the sound of sleigh bells. Just as I began to drift, sometime around one in the morning, I heard it. The sound of rustling newspaper. I hoisted myself out of the sleeping awake twilight I was in and ejected myself from bed, too stricken with urgency to consider being quiet. I landed on my floor with a thud, and immediately I heard my sister whine from across the hall. Please don't go. No, come back, she cried. I raced out of my bedroom, older sibling protective instincts at full tilt, and into the hallway just in time to be stopped in my tracks. A tall, willowy silhouette stood at the living room. Wait. A tall, willowy silhouette stood at the living room end of the hallway. The thing, man, stood so tall that it stooped, bending at the ceiling, using its long, spindly legs to brace against the walls. The lunar glow coming in through the skylight was just enough to show me that it was uniformly pale, almost paper white, and without clothes. I stared up at what I thought should be its face, its lack of features slightly disorienting. It had two indentations where there should have been eyes, as if they were sockets but skin had been stretched over them. I thought I saw a small slit that must have been a mouth. I began to notice that its body seemed thin, almost two-dimensional, and then it moved. I gasped as it moved with unnatural motion, as if, joints, as if its joints were the result of being creased and folded into a box, using its abnormally gangly arms to bounce on the floor and lurch to the living room. For a moment, I considered just going back to my room, but I'd come too far. 
I summoned what little courage I had and edged towards the living room, peeking around the corner of the hallway's end. In the moonlight, I followed the trail of gray footprints with my eyes up to the fireplace, where the twin doors into the earth stood open. I caught a glimpse of a limb being retracted into the chimney. I just stared, not daring to move, not daring to breathe too loudly or deeply, lest it come back for me. Amelia broke me from the trance. Don't hurt him, she whispered meekly from behind me. I spun, I spun around startled, my heart thumping in my chest. We locked eyes for a moment, me not believing what I'd seen, Amelia not comprehending why I seemed so disheveled. Finally, I found words. Go back to bed, Amelia, I stammered. No, he won't hurt you. He won't, she started to tear up. I kept finding myself unable to speak, as if the thing in our fireplace had stolen my vocabulary. I just kept standing there, watching Amelia weep as if I were taking away a new puppy. In my head, I was sprinting, trying to weigh out the options. I took Amelia by the hand and went to the hallway closet for my dad's maglite. I crept back to the fireplace, and Amelia mercifully not fighting my grip. Oh. I crept back to the fireplace, Amelia mercifully not fighting my grip. I sat for a moment. Amelia, if anything happens when I look up the chimney, you run and wake up mom and dad. Do you understand? Amelia nodded. I took a deep breath, and I leaned back in the fireplace as I turned the flashlight and looked up. A sheet white face met mine, the creature hanging upside down and craning its neck to face me. There were no eyes, but a round black hole for a mouth, gaping to reveal a seemingly bottomless, gaping to reveal a seemingly bottomless oblivion. I scrambled out of the earth and collapsed there on the floor, waiting for it to come out after me as my chest heaved, but it never did. At some point, I got up, ignored my sister's questions and pleading, as a numb, thoughtless state came over me. I took the fireplace matches, doused the carpet and lighter fluid from the kitchen cabinet, and set the carpet ablaze. That place be damned. Amelia and I never told our parents what happened, and I can't remember much of what happened in the immediate aftermath. After hundreds of hours of therapy, the only solid thing I can retrieve after looking up the chimney that horrifying Christmas morning is sitting out in the snow with my family, pulling my knees to my chest as we waited for the fire department from a distant town. Amelia wailing about her friend burning alive. By the time the fire trucks got there, the cabin had been burned to the ground. None of the firemen even bothered turning on their hoses. The therapist told my parents that I've got repressed memories as a result of being so miserably sequestered from society at a time when social development is paramount. What a bunch of bullshit. Amelia wouldn't talk to me for a long time because from her perspective, I'd murdered her friend. A few years later, she began to comprehend. We talked, we reconciled, and we agreed never to speak of it. The fire was attributed to a likely electrical problem within the system that distributed the heat from the fireplace. I guess small-town forensic scientists don't know what accelerants look like. My parents never quite understood why Amelia was convinced that I had caused the fire when the fire department said otherwise. It strained us for a while, but eventually I guess they just let it go as Amelia's vivid imagination. The day after, we were allowed to sift through the smoldering rubble to try and salvage anything we could. All that we found were a set of footprints that led into the woods and didn't return to the house. We followed them, but eventually they disappeared abruptly. My parents don't know who they could have possibly belonged to, but Amelia and I do. Ooh. I have a little Christmas story randomly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Fuck that shit. My last story is super short, but it's pretty funny. Okay, cool. Well, at least I thought it was funny. I know. Watch it not be funny at all. <laughs> I'll take it, it is titled He Had One Drop. Okay. 
I used to work as a safety consultant for an ins insurance broker. One of our clients had an employee who was tasked to apply a do not enter compactor starts automatically sign on a cardboard box compactor. Hmm. The idiot set the can of spray adhesive on the lip of the compactor, knocked it in, and then jumped in to the compactor to get it. <laughs> of course, it started automatically because oh. the machine can't tell an idiot from a box. <laughs> he had one job. He had but one job. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. I'm like, please think about what you're writing. Oh, that's too... I literally started laughing. I was like, dude. That's fucked. <laughs> oh, too funny. Jesus Christ. That was a very short one, though. Yeah, it was. It was super short. Short, but very gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else to add before we end this one? Oh, I just wanted to shout out Robert. Thank you for uh, filling in last week. Oh, yeah. He doesn't listen, so I'll tell him about the shout out. Yeah. I'm like, he doesn't like scary stories. <laughs> no, but still. Yeah. I know anytime you need a guest host in the future, I volunteer him. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised he actually wanted to research because I told him we could do creepy pasta. And he's like, I don't want to do creepy pasta. I want to like find a story. And I was like, okay. That's cool, though. I I'm know. Glad. I was, like, glad that at the same time I was like, damn, now I have to research. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was chill. Just waiting till I can't come and then you and Alaris do a special episode. True. Actually, I guess I edit it, so I don't no. think that's an option for me. <laughs> you guys do it. Send it to me. I edit. Oh, yeah, that's you. <laughs> All right, yeah, and shout out to everyone who listened last week and is still here. I know, True. replacements, change isn't easy, <laughs> but hey, no. we made it. Uh, if any of you would like to send us your own stories or any episode ideas or suggestions, you can at thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com, our Twitter and Instagram, our spookyshit underscore pod, and our website is spookyshit-pod.com. But yeah, thank you all for listening. Appreciate it as always. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and we will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>